the Trinity. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God knew your need in your heart before you ever spoke it. Because he's a father in heaven. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Through all the glitz and glitter of the Christmas season, it's easy for us to lose the true reason we celebrate. So for the next several weeks, we'll dive into the depth of God's promises leading up to the birth of our Savior. Today, David begins with a look at the Trinity in a message called The Father. Okay, my wife says that in preaching, I often go where angels fear to tread. The heart of the gospel is an understanding of the biblical doctrine of the Trinity. One God in three persons. It is the most complex and difficult doctrine to understand. But when you do understand it, you understand the gospel. And I would suggest to you that the Trinity is essential in understanding the cradle, in understanding Christmas. So without further ado, buckle your seatbelts, open your Bibles, your cell phones, your iPads, whatever, and let's get at it. Let's try to understand the doctrine of the Trinity during this Christmas season, which I hope will inflame your hearts even more to love the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Let's begin by asking some questions about the Trinity. Here are the most often asked questions. First of all, what is the Trinity? It comes from the Latin word trinitas, which means threeness. Uh, It was formed by the early church father named Tertullian in the second century. The term Trinity is not in the Bible, but in the understanding of the term one God and three persons, it is in the Bible. Uh, We just got through with a series on the challenge, especially of Islam persecuting Christians throughout the world. When Islam looks at the doctrine of the Trinity, here is the criticism. You Christians worship three gods. Nothing could be farther from the truth. We worship one God as the Jews do. We worship one God as the Muslims do. But the difference is we believe we worship one God in three persons. That's what the Trinity is. One God in three persons. Again, the term Trinity is not in the Bible, but biblically it is, which leads to the next question. Is it biblical? The short answer is absolutely. And not only is it biblical, it was reaffirmed in the two major church councils in the early days to try to make sure that heresies that were arising against the right teaching of the Christian gospel were refuted. Heresies rise up because people don't like what's taught in the scripture. And one of the heresies was that Jesus wasn't really divine. He was just a man. Another heresy is that he wasn't a man. He was just a ghost. And the church had to come against these heresies and teach what was right. One of the councils which did so is called the Council of Nicaea. In 325 AD, a group of committed church fathers coming together to define exactly what Christians believe. And in the Council of Nicaea, the church said Jesus was fully God and fully human at the same time, a mystery but clearly taught in the Scripture. 
And then about 100 years later, there was another council called the Council of Athanasius. And the Athanasius Creed was formed in the 5th century, based largely on the great theologian Augustine, who may be the greatest theologian the church has ever had. And in the Athanasian Creed, there is a clear statement of the Trinity being one God in three persons. Now, this idea, again, came thoroughly from the early church fathers who came close to the apostles' writings, what was written in the Bible, understanding that that's what the Scripture taught. Let's look at some of the key verses that talk about this understanding of the Trinity. Genesis 1, 26, in creation, when God created the world, good, perfect, in every possible way, look at this verse. Read it with me, in fact. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So in creation, this term for God is Elohim. It's in the plural. It's God's. So in the very earliest manuscripts, in the very early interpretation of the Scripture, you have an understanding of God in plurality. Let us make man in our own image. Then in Genesis 18, verses 1 and 2, you have Abraham and Sarah. Abraham having been promised from God that he would be given a child, a son, through whom all the nations would be blessed. But that promise had been a couple of decades in the waiting and still hadn't come true. And he and Sarah, I'm sure like all of us do when we sense a promise from God that hasn't come true, we get discouraged. He got discouraged. And then it tells us in Genesis 18, 1 and 2, let me just ask you to write down the verses and look at them yourselves. Three men approach Abraham, and they encourage him. They say, the promise of the child will be yours. You will have a son. And then interestingly, Abraham calls the three the Lord, singular. The Lord, singular, in three men telling him, the truth is, you will have a son. And then later, the three talking among themselves call themselves the Lord, singular, I would also suggest you look at Jesus' baptism in Mark, the first chapter, verses 9 through 11. By the way, you need to be baptized. If you believe in Jesus, you need a public declaration of driving your uh, faith into the ground and letting everyone see that you believe that Jesus is Lord. Jesus was baptized, not because he needed it, he was sinless, but because he was giving us an example that we needed it. And in his baptism, we read these words. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the what? The spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So you see, Jesus went under the water, the Spirit of God came upon him, and the Father said, you are my son. There it is. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Probably the most profound place, though, we see the Trinity, not mentioned by name, but mentioned in definition, is in Matthew, the 28th chapter, verse 19. Jesus' last words before he ascended into heaven, he said to all of us and his disciples then, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, now read it with me, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Notice, name is singular. 
in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And throughout the rest of the Bible, in the Pauline and the Johannine epistles, that simply means the letters written by Paul and John, the concept of the Trinity is everywhere. Write down Romans, the eighth chapter. Look at the number of times it talks about God who revealed his son and gave us the Holy Spirit. One God and three persons. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Keep that in mind. I'm going to come back to it at the end of the message and show you in Paul's terminology how he taught the concept of one God in three persons. So the next question, is it humanly understandable? The short answer is no. It's not humanly understandable. But I love this quote. Someone once said, deny the Trinity and you'll lose your soul. Try to explain it and you'll lose your mind. It's true. The Trinity is the essence of the gospel so your soul will be saved. But to try to understand it is beyond human comprehension. Again, the Athanasian Creed in the 5th century, which defined the one God in three persons finally for the church, said this, the Father is incomprehensible, the Son is incomprehensible, the Holy Spirit is incomprehensible. But I'd like to invite you all, as you approach this Christmas season especially, to reclaim mystery in your faith. The whole idea of trying to figure out everything in the faith is the result of the enlightenment which engulfed America in the 18th century and lasted until a few years ago. We've got to understand everything in perfect detail in order to believe it. But faith demands mystery. Faith demands things we just don't understand. Why? That allows God to be God and allows us not to be God. We've got to depend upon God to be the one on whom we depend, not our own human reasoning. And folks, just because I don't understand something doesn't mean I shouldn't practice it. I don't understand electricity. That does not prevent me from turning on the lights in the morning. I don't understand how my car works. Don't have a clue, but that doesn't prevent me from putting the key in the ignition. Just because I don't understand something doesn't mean I don't practice it. I don't understand the Trinity, but I believe it's biblical and it's true. If I stood at the bottom of a cliff and it is scaling upward and I know I can't climb it, there are clouds shrouding it at the summit, I know I can touch it, I might even be able to put a foot on it and climb maybe just a couple of feet, but I know I can't scale it. And I don't know what the summit looks like because of the clouds, but that does not prevent me from admiring the majesty of the beauty of that cliff. Just because I can't, can only touch something in a small way or feel it in a minute way doesn't prevent me from worshiping the majesty of the holy God who reveals himself to us through Jesus Christ. All kinds of attempts have been made through the years to explain the Trinity. The great patron saint of Ireland, Patrick, said, well, the Trinity's like the clover, the, the four-leaf clover, but imagine three leaves on it, one clover with three leaves implies kind of three different gods. Not a bad attempt, but not perfect. Others have said it's like a spring, a fount, and a stream of water. Three different kinds from where the water comes, but the water is of one essence. 
That's better, but still not perfect. Others say it's like a three links on a chain. They're all connected, but all the links look alike. Others have suggested it's like a rainbow, multicolors, but all come from the same sunbeam. Others have said it's like an apple. You have the core, the peel, and the seeds. One apple with three different substances as a part of it. Every attempt, though, fails miserably. It doesn't capture it totally because it can't. It's a mystery in the heart of God. Physicists, for example, look at light. Light's characteristics, first of all, are waves. But also, physicists understand that light's characteristics are also essentially something else. And they know that the two seemingly contradict one another. And some people say that on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, physicists teach that light is energy. And on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, others teach that light are waves. And on Sunday, they worship the Lord. Two apparent contradictions that every notable PhD physicist will say today just doesn't make sense. That light is energy and waves at the same time. But they still practice physics, though it's not explainable. The Trinity is a mystery. It's not a contradiction from God's perspective, even though from ours we may not understand it. Final question. Why then is the Trinity important? And it's simply for this reason. You can't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ unless you understand the Trinity. You can't understand the cradle unless you understand the Trinity. You can't understand the cross unless you understand the Trinity. You can't understand the resurrection unless you understand the Trinity. You can't understand the ascension unless you understand the Trinity. You can't understand the second coming of Jesus unless you understand the Trinity. It's essential for our faith. So let's try to understand the Trinity in greater detail. Let's start today with the Father, the first person of the Godhead, the Father. Now, now you need to know at this point, when I intersect with secular atheists, and and I love to, I, I love to dialogue with them, I love to talk with them, I'm respectful, I build a friendship with them, and we have great dialogues together. Here's what they say, David, I'm more respectful of the Jewish God or the Muslim God. At least that makes sense. God is one, Deuteronomy 6, 4. The Muslims, Allah is one. But you Christians, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with one God, I just don't get it. It's easier to accept the God of Judaism or the God of Islam. And here's how I always respond. Well, if you say that, you need to know, first of all, that the idea of the Father is throughout the Scripture. First of all, in the Old Testament, there's Isaiah 64, 8. Would you all read this with me? But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter, we are all the work of your hand. So the idea of God being a Father is in the Old Testament. Other places it says God created Israel as his son, father-son idea there, but it's not often talked about. What I say to the secular atheist is, but in the words of Jesus, God has talked about his father over and over again. 
Matthew 6, 8, from the words of Jesus. Read this with me. Do not be like them. That's the Pharisees who pretend to be religious, but they're really not. Do not be like them for your, what? Father knows what you need before you ask him. Isn't that a great prayer verse? For some of you say, oh, I just didn't pray long enough. I didn't pray hard enough, and that's why God didn't give me the answer. God knew what you needed before any word was uttered from your lips. God knew your need in your heart before you ever spoke it because he's a father in heaven. Matthew 7, 11, Jesus said, if you then who are evil, keep that in mind, for we're evil. Every single one of us because of sin is selfish, seeking our own way. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, read the rest with me. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? What a wonderful understanding of God in heaven. Jesus said, hey, you daddies out there who are basically selfish, you want the world to revolve around you, but when your kids come to you and ask you for something for Christmas, your heart's moved, and you do anything and everything to give your children what they desire. Now, if you earthly fathers want to give good gifts to your children and you're basically selfish, how much more the Father in heaven who's perfect love wants to give good gifts to you who are his children. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a conversation about how God sent his son into the world to pursue each of us. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, just wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope, David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, we all been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center, and the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bo? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Thomasboro and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals and, and we just thank you moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the, the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um everything you all do for us and for the kingdom and not only that but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the dream center now this week started producing meals there and as the restaurants open back up, all the meals will shift to the Dream Center with the kitchen you helped us do. So we're so grateful for you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope and we just pray an unlimited return harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much. 
Thanks for listening to Moments of Hope. I'm Jen Houston, and with me is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Jen. It's great to be with you as well. Well, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you wrote about how God sent His Son into the world to pursue each of us, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Well, it's not often a word that is associated with Christmas, Mm -hmm. but I think it should be. Pursuit. What does it mean? Well, understand the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, God created everything perfectly. Genesis 3, the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy, tempted Eve and Adam. They both fell and introduced corruption, sin, into this world. Everything is desecrated, especially our human hearts. Our destination now, because of that selfishness that indwells us, is eternal separation from God. And God knew that. Mm -hmm. So God's two major characteristics are his holiness, which implies his justice, Mm -hmm. but also his love. So his holiness has been terribly offended by our rebellion against him. He should punish us with his judgment, sending us to hell. But his love kicks in and says, but I don't want to send them to hell. What do I do? We Christians believe one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are equal in the Godhead. Yes, one God, but somehow three personalities within that same Godhead. So God the Father turned to God the Son at some point in human history between Malachi and Matthew, those 400 years of silence in intertestamental time period as the people of God are waiting for a word from the Lord. God the Father turned to his son and said, would you go? And Philippians 2 verses 5 through 11 expresses it well. The son who did not think equality with God was something to be grasped, purposefully, intentionally submitted his will to the father and put on human flesh, taking on the form of a servant and entering this world in a stable in Bethlehem. This perfect God and perfect human, Jesus, whose name means Savior, grew up and lived the perfect life none of us can live, then went to the cross to take all of our sins upon himself, and then by grace through faith give us that forgiveness, which not only keeps us from going to hell, allows us to go to heaven. Mm. So, Jen, when you really realize it, God's message through Jesus was a rescue mission. It was a pursuit of us in love because he did not want us to spend eternity separated from him. Luke 19.10, Jesus said, I came, that's an incarnational term, I came to seek and save that which was lost. That was Jesus' mission. It was a rescue, and it was driven by pursuit, a word that I think we need to reclaim for the Christmas season. I love this so much, and it reminds me of any good parent is going to pursue their child in the middle of their mess, aren't they? Exactly. Absolutely. You couldn't be more right. And I once saw a movie entitled Taken. It's got a couple of fairly violent scenes in it, although it's PG-13, and I think it expresses the heart of the gospel well. Liam Neeson, the father had a daughter who was kidnapped, taken overseas. She was drugged and put into trafficking. He so loved her, even though their relationship was broken at the time when she was kidnapped, he pursued her. He had all kinds of special ops training, so he was able to beat all the bad guys up and ultimately rescue her. And Jen, he brought her home. And in the last scene is there's a knock on the door, and she answers the door. And the dad comes up as well, and they embrace mm. in love because wow. they're reconciled wow. in that relationship. Why? Because the dad pursued. Wow. Talk about stepping into a mess. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your thoughts on this today, David. Thank you, Jen. And folks, God pursued you in Jesus. That's how much he loves you today and forever. 
This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moment of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's Hopecast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for those who have lost loved ones this year.